sermon series. Beginning of the year, um, I, I preached in January just what I sensed the Lord laid on my heart as I prayed throughout December for us as a church. There was two things, and so I'm going to give away a chocolate uh, to those that can remember. When I came back, first sermon I preached, I said two things that uh, the Lord wants to say to us as a congregation. Can somebody remember one except any of the staff members or their wives? Disqualified, yes. Ooh, give that lady a chocolate. Where's the chocolate? Okay, we'll give you a chocolate later. Come to me. We must give you a chocolate. God told me that the reason why we find ourselves every year at that place in December where we are so tired that it takes you a week just to recover to be able to go on holiday is because we're trying to make things happen on our own. You can remember I had a waiting room typical doctor's waiting room versus a gym. And so when we go to Isaiah 40 verse 31, scripture verse there, it says, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall rise up like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's the promise of endurance. But there's a but, but those who wait. And that wait, the word wait in Hebrew is translated hope. Those, that place, those of you that place your hope in God, not on self, not I must make this happen. It's not a passive thing. I still continue in being faithful, what God has told me to do, but the weight of making things happen is not on my shoulders. And so the second thing God said, and from this position of waiting on me, tell my people, remind my people, of my faithfulness. And that's the sermon series that we're starting. The next three weeks, the, the, the topics will be up behind me. We're going to preach. Uh, we're going to look at the story of Elijah from the book of Kings. And we're going to look at God's faithfulness. And the reason for this is we need to be reminded that God is faithful. This God that is calling you to wait on Him is a faithful God. He is faithful to His Word, which is what I'm preaching about tonight. It is not on you to make things happen. It is on Him. And so, I shared one statement that Sunday. The statement was, your ability to wait on God proves what you believe on him, about Him. Your ability to wait on God proves what you believe about Him. So I used the metaphor, just imagine you are diagnosed with a terminally, terminal Ill, illness. You are terminally ill, that's, the, that's a better English. Terminally ill, there's a disease, and there's a doctor on the other side of that door, and that's the only doctor that can cure you. How long will you wait? As long as it takes. But there's somebody greater than any earthly doctor that has called us to wait on him. And so your ability to remain in a prayerful Hope transferred onto Him shows, proves what you believe about Him. And so I want to invite a friend to the front. 
pass me that mic. Aisel, can you join me here? I've asked Aisel, his wife, join us also this morning just to come and share his testimony, uh, their testimony um, about God's faithfulness. Uh, you know, many a times we go through these storms uh, and we forget that God is faithful. We read, and sometimes, if you're really honest, you just desire God, show me, show me. And so that's why we will have testimonies every Sunday to remind us He is still the same God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still the same God. He is still faithful today. All right, and so, let me just stand on that chair. <laughs> I feel a bit small currently. So this is a good friend of mine. Uh, we got to know him and his wife when they did their premarital many, many moons ago with us. Um, Asil, his wife, he'll introduce his wife. So something that I really, it is on, that I really enjoy about being in their presence from the first day that we met them in our lounge, um, starting to share about being married and all the nice things about being married, um, was it takes you literally a few seconds to really just experience joy and laughter being in their presence. There's something about the joy of the Lord that I, that I sense every time that I'm with this man. Um, maybe also something else, you know, part of the premarital, we share that um, a lot of good things. I'm not trying to promote the premarital, but please do that. Um, and so one of the things is you need to have a, what we refer to as a house meeting before you as a husband just make decisions. So if you go out, you have tea or coffee, and a friend comes over and says, hey, can we have a bride? Don't react and say, yes, speak to your wife first, and then you react, you know, things like that. There needs to be a house meeting uh, before you just commit. Uh, you need to recognize your wife as a partner in this relationship. And so a few months after they got married, I got a phone call from his wife, Elizna. Donnie, we need to come and see you and Susan. So we were also their mentor couple. So part of the premarital, when you do it, you get linked to a, a, a mentor couple that works with you because it's not that course and forever and ever you will be married. We all go through some challenging times. And so they walked into our house and we sat down, chitty chit chat a bit. And then Elisna just went for it straight and said, Donnie, you remember you shared about we need to make, you know, have a house meeting before the husband or anybody just makes decisions. And I said, yes, yes. And she said, well, Aisel bought himself a hunting rifle. And so my reaction to that was, wow, what rifle? And we just went into the discussion. And so till today, Elisna holds that against me. I failed the test. All right. So please, it's important to speak to your wife before you buy a hunting rifle. Why don't you just introduce your beautiful family to us? Thank you, Donnie. Um, uh, this is Yelisna, my wife. Uh, the oldest one is Lilia, and that's Kari, our second uh, 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 girl. And that's Reinhard. Um, he was born in March. Yeah. Um, but uh, just very quickly on the premarital. Um, so... <laughs> We moved from Joburg to Pretoria and did church hopping. The first church that we hopped to was Every Nation, Linwood. So it was great to be greeted as we were greeted the first time. We said we don't want to be in a mega church where, you know, so many people knew you might be missed or fall through the cracks. So in the first five minutes, I met Donnie. Um, he came up and said, you guys look new. We had a chat. And there was this other guy with this nice leather bag. We chatted to him. When he walked into the church, 
the guy with the nice leather bag came up and preached, and we saw, ah, that's the preacher. It was Philip. Um, so it's great to be here. Um, also, in the first time that we were here, they uh, advertised the uh, premarital. And my wife didn't, or who was my fiance at the stage, wasn't, uh, she was a locum at that stage. She worked on that Sunday, and I was here with my flatmate, Leandri. So afterwards, we said, okay, cool, let's get some information. And uh, we went to the table and uh, said, no, the, the premarital, how does it work? Or, um, I said, no, are you guys getting married? He said, no, 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 we're not getting married. We just live together. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that's, that was our first time, but it's great to be here. Okay. Um, so can you experience the joy? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so maybe if you look, it's a beautiful family, eh? Yeah. We, yes, definitely. Uh, if I look at that picture, Aisel, I can see there's an age difference between the daughters and your son. So how did the, the move or the belief, how did you and your wife get to, we need to have a third child? Okay, so last year with prayer and fast, one of our prayer points was um, uh, we, we prayed if we need to have another, bo- uh, another child. And um, on the last night of prayer and fast, um, God showed my wife a vision of her having a boy. And in the vision, he fast-tracked 20 years, and he showed this young man standing with, talking to people and people turning to Christ. So that was, that was awesome. So my wife came to me and said, we're having a boy. Um, and then, yeah, yes. Um, and then um, with, with our first two daughters, we, we, we prayed for a meaning separately, and then we when we got a meaning for the name, we came together, and if it, if it was the same, we then looked through the names that was associated with the meaning, and that's how we got to, to the two girls' names. And we did the same with Reynard when we heard it is a boy. She fell pregnant. We heard it is a boy, and it was great. And, um, but the Lord didn't give me or you listen a meaning. Um, and then uh, last year sometime, the Lord gave me the name Reynard. Reinhardt, and it must be spelled the same, pure heart. Okay, so fast track, two, uh, two weeks later, Elisna goes to the guy again. The guy picks up something. She said, listen, I pick up something. I want you to go to a gynecologist that specializes in fetal assessment. Elisna goes alone because, you know, when you have a couple of kids and work, you know, on the third pregnancy, she does that alone. Um, <laughs> so Elisna phones me afterwards crying saying uh, there's, there's a problem with our baby's heart. And I said, listen, I know we sit together, but the Lord told me his name must be Reinhard. So um, don't worry. Um, or there was a, a sense of calmness. Then they got, three, weeks, three weeks later, they got us an appointment with um, a, a pediatric uh, cardiologist. And we, we went uh, together to that uh, to that session. Um, normally that's about 20 minutes. Um, uh, and and um, that guy scanned, or that doctor scanned Yelisna for more than an hour. After that hour, it's the longest hour of my life, we sat down and he said, guys, and he started with, have you guys spoke about um, terminating uh, a pregnancy? Um, yeah, so things got really real very quickly. Um, we've got this prophecies over his, over his life and um, uh, um, uh, all this hope and then medical science, you know, slaps you in the face very, very quickly. 
So we had many questions. One of the questions was, how, how would this affect him? Um, or what would, he, what would happen if we do nothing? Well, that, that's, Donnie knows me, that's, that's me. And he said, no, then he won't survive. It's okay. Um, he'll need surgery. What kind of surgery is that? And basically, he had something called hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which basically means the one side of his heart is not big enough to do its job. Um, and he said, okay, so, so with a severe case like this, They'll cut off the, the small part, reroute the arteries and the veins, so that the one part of the heart does all the work. Um, so we said, what does it mean for his life? He said, no, he'll get um, tired very easily. He won't be able to dress himself. He won't be able to run. Um, he's got a life expectancy between 20 and 30 years. They don't get, you know, um, patients that lives more than 25 years. Um, so, of course, we were shattered. Um, after that, we surrounded ourselves with family. Um, Again, prophecies came over his life, um, and we prayed. We prayed, you know, Almighty Creator, would you come and touch this boy's heart? Would you come and heal him? So that was, that was November. Um, we had a tough December, and in January, we got a, an appointment at the hospital where all these cardiac uh, surgeries take place, and the doctor that would operate on him suggested that we go to this uh, guy that they work very closely to each, uh, with each other, um, uh, internationally renowned guy. We got an appointment. Again, he scanned for more than an hour, and he sat us down. And he said, when he looks at the fetal assessment, he's very worried. When he looks at his colleagues uh, uh, at the Heart Hospital, if he looks at his uh, scans and his diagnosis, he's correct and he's very worried. But when he now looks at his scans, this baby has some risks, but we're expecting a normal birth and a normal baby. So the Lord came and really uh, touched his heart. Yeah, yeah. You can give a hand to the Lord there, eh? <laughs> yeah. So, I saw last, just last question from my side. Tough December, tough time. What was it that you and the listener held on to? So, first of all, uh, Donnie, we, we know God is good. We know God is faithful. We know God is almighty. He is sovereign. Now, our circumstance won't change that. So that's something that we held on to. And then we also held on to the prophecies that was of his life, the vision that the listeners saw of him. Um, uh, yes, um, that's, that's so we've spoken word. Yeah, the word uh, from family. I just want to say, um, um, so when he was born, uh, a team of surgeons stood ready because the last, the final assessment is when he gets up, they check if his hands get blue or whatever, um, and they rushed him off to ICU. Afterwards, they said that he's going to be there for seven to 14 days. He was out in four days. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Let's give him a hand. Thanks, Isol. But wait, place your hope in me. The circumstances they face is real. Uh, there was evidence that it's real. It was tough. But there was a spoken word, apart from God asking them, wait on me, place your hope on me. God also gave a word. And they held on to this word. And so tonight when we open the Bible together, and you can take out your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Kings uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. 
we're going to look at the life of Elijah and how God comes and he says, amidst whatever you face, my word remains stable. My word remains faithful. My word is faithful because I am a faithful God. God is faithful. Not God does things that are faithful because he is a faithful God. He is faithful towards his word. Amen. And so if we look at the book of Kings, when you go to the original uh, Hebrew Bible manuscripts, the word kings is actually translated incorrectly. It should read kingdoms. And so the book kingdoms or kings uh, is not reflecting a property, a specific area, a piece of land. It, re it, um, it reflects the power, uh, the, the authority the rule of a king. So kingdom was linked to a king's authority, his power, his influence um, over a period of time when he lived. So if one king died, his kingdom came to an end. And so as the next king was anointed, a new kingdom was established. And so just think about it. When Jesus came, he is called the lamb and the lion. He came to establish kingdom, not a specific area property but God's rule and reign over creation. And so the reason for this book, the purpose for the book Kings, is to study the lives of these different kings and to learn from their walk, to learn from the, how they ruled and reigned, and to adjust our lives according to God's purposes. And so as we will see tonight, we will study the life of a king that did not follow God. And so the statement, history repeats itself, is true. Why? Because history is a subject that we study. We study research, uh, history. We learn about the history instead of learning from history. We learn about history instead of learning from history. It's not an outcome-based study. And so when you open the book of Kings, change your way of reading it. It is an outcomes-based. What is it that I see in this word that is not in line, my life, which is in my life, that is not in line with God's purposes. And how do I adjust? All right, so we're going to start reading from verse 1, chapter 17. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So never have we read, heard anything prior to this chapter about Elijah. And then Elijah comes on the scene. Again, don't know a lot about him except where he comes from. All right, but he speaks the word of God. It's prophet. Verse um, 1 in chapter 18. You can jump to chapter 18, verse 1. So here he says, there will be no dew, no rain. And then chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So the third year after he first appeared before the king Ahab, go show yourself to Ahab, this is the second time, and I will send rain upon the earth. Let's go to verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of the Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea, uh, and he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. 
And he said, go up, say, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And listen to this. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. First time, Elijah appears before the king. God sends him with a specific word. Go to Ahab and tell him that there will be no rain, not even dew. And then three years later, in a few days, God sends him back with a different message. He says, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain. And so he goes, and he shows himself to Ahab. And there's this whole event of Elijah facing the Baal priest, getting them to put an, uh, on the altar that they build an offer, that they offer to Baal, saying, if Baal is true and is a living God, then pray to him, Ask him to consume your offer with fire. And so for the whole day, they pray, and they, they even start hitting themselves, beating themselves, believing that if I go through tough times, I am more holy, and then my God will listen to me. And it doesn't happen. And then Elijah steps up, and he says, God, if you are truly God, then show yourself to these people. Prove your servant to be worthy. And God consumes that offer with fire. And then the rain comes. So twice in this event of Elijah facing the king, we see how God is faithful to his spoken word. He said to Elijah, go. First time, say to the king, no more rain. Second time, go, say to him, and there was rain. And so we see just in Elijah's walk how God is faithful to his spoken word. How God is faithful to his spoken word. But if you study chapter 17 to 18, you will actually see that God was faithful five times to his word spoken to Elijah. The verses will be up behind me. First time when he sends him to the king to appear before the king to say no rain. And there was no rain. Then he says to him, go down to the brook chariot. And there you will drink water from this brook. And I will send ravens to bring you food to eat. And it happened. And then God comes to him again and says, go to Zarephath. There will be a widow. I have instructed her to look after you. And so he goes to Zarephath. This is a city. And as he enters the gates, behold, he sees the widow. And so he asks her for food. And the widow says, but I don't have enough food. What I have is enough oil and flour to prepare a last cake for me and my son. And then we will die. And he says to her, behold, Go and make, because the Lord will provide. And you will have flour and oil until it rains again. And it happens. And then the fifth time, go back to King Ahab, and I will send rain. And we see this happen. God is faithful to his spoken word. God was faithful to Elizna and Asel. Even when they felt weak in faith, he was faithful. God has called us to place our hope on Him. Not on our own abilities to make things happen. God is faithful. I remember, shared this, going up to country, Mali, Northwest Africa, diagnosed with a severe illness, heart condition. Doctors there saying to me, you will not return. You will die in this country. That night, I opened my word, opened the Bible. The word that came to me was where Jesus heard the news about his good friend that passed away. 
And Jesus said, this, death, this sickness, this illness will not lead to death, but to my glory. And in that moment, I felt the Spirit saying to me, this is the word for you. God is faithful to his word. What is it that you are holding on to? What is it that you are holding on to? What is it that you are holding on to? So I started off by saying the book of Kings is about studying their lives and learning from their lives. So what is it that we need to learn from Ahab's life? And the answer of this is found in the reason why it stopped raining. So Elijah comes on the picture, into the picture when he needs to tell Ahab it will stop raining, there will be no dew. And so the answer that we need to learn and study and get, get from Ahab's life is why it stopped raining. You see, Ahab, the following is said about him in chapter 16. Go and read it. So for the next three weeks, go and read chapter 16, 17, 18, 19. We will be preaching about these chapters. Chapter 16, Ahab is introduced as the king. And it's said about him that under his rule and reign, Israel experienced economic growth, well-being, health. He established trade agreements with different countries to the north of Samaria. Under his rule and reign, politically, there was stability and good structures in place. And so let me pause there quickly. That will make a great president. Economic growth, down goes unemployment. Stability, no more under-the-table payments, good structures. But kings in those days weren't measured by how they performed humanly. They were measured by two things. Man after God's heart, sorting after God, wanting, desiring to walk in his ways. And so this king is said to be the most evil king than anyone who lived before him as a king. It's funny how we in today judge our leaders or what we perceive to be a good leader looking at worldly things. Might not be the best economic educated leader, but is he following and walking and desiring Jesus' footsteps? So this man was more evil than any king who lived before him. Why? Because we read and we see he married a lady by the name of Jezebel who was a worshiper of Baal. She was the princess from Phoenicia. And so by marrying her, he went against God's word, first thing. Then he established, he built a temple for Baal in Samaria. And inside a temple, uh, the temple uh, altar, he also erected a, a Sherah. It's a holy pole, a piece of wood in Samaria. He allowed Jezebel to kill all the prophets and priests who served before God. And so in this moment of him doing these things, he goes against what God said in Deuteronomy 11, verses 14 to 17, which says the following. He will give the rain for your land. This is before God's chosen people enters into the promised land. This word comes to them. He will give rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your, your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. 
and you shall eat and be full. So he, God, will be the giver of rain. Note that. He will be the one that gives grass for your, your livestock. He is the one that will make the land, the ground, fertile. Verse 16, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit. Ahab was disobedient to this word. He built a temple for Baal. He erected a Shira in the city uh, of Samaria. Baal is the God of rain and thunder. So instead of waiting on God that has given the promise that I will bless this land with rain in season, before season, out of season, I will make this land fertile, the ground. Instead of waiting, believing God to be fruitful, faithful, also fruitful, faithful to His word, He takes it upon Himself to erect a temple of what is known as the God of rain and thunder. Asherah being the, the female goddess of fertility. The female goddess of fertility. And so when God sends Elijah to, to um, come or go to Ahab, to tell him that there will be no rain, in that moment God proves that he is faithful to his word. If you follow any other god, idol worship, then I will make the rain stop. So God is faithful to His Word. But not that alone. The fact that God then sends him into nature and provides for him water and food through ravens, God proves that He is the Creator. That He controls nature. Not any other God. He sends him to Zarephath, to a widow. Zarephath being the capital city of Phoenicia where Baal worship comes from. And so in the midst of this earthly, human-made God, He provides food for a family. And this widow's son dies. And we see how Elijah prayerfully prays unto this boy and life is given to him. He proves in the middle of this idol worship city that he is the giver of life. God is faithful to his word. And then God sends Elijah back. And when God makes it rain again, in that moment, he proves that he is God alone. And so what do we learn from Ahab's life? And what should we learn from Ahab's life? Is to wait on God and to trust in his spoken word and his written word. Spoken being a prophetic word, somebody that gives you a word, being scripture or what they sense, obviously tested and proved. God is faithful to his spoken word. God is also faithful to his written word. And so don't be like Ahab, where he defaulted to the I must and I will. I will make this happen. You see, as much as we sit here tonight, 
and we desire to be the Elijah, we are more like Ahab. As much as we desire to be like Elijah, we are more like Ahab. How many of you have been at that place where you are worried, you get anxious about your future? Living and staying in this country is not a good thing for me to do. I need to go to greener pastures because there will be a future for me. If we look at our just current employment rate, what fills your heart? Now understand me quickly. If God tells you to move, then move. But if it's from a place of being anxious and I need to make this happen, then you are like Ahab. How many of you have sat thinking, Lord, will I ever receive a wife or a husband of my own? Maybe I need to step out there and do certain things. In this week, past week, uh, a lady from this service tried to commit suicide. Now, there's many reasons. Many reasons. Definitely not trying to proclaim that it's because she was like an Ahab. But God has called us to wait on Him, to trust and believe that He is faithful. And even though your circumstances does not look the way it should, then more than ever, be on your knees and pray and trust Him and believe in His Word. Asal and Lesnar's story is a story of trials and tribulations. It is a story of God being faithful. Their story is a story of them holding on to God's Word, no matter the circumstances. Elijah's story is a story of hearing God's voice and obeying His voice, hearing His Word and obeying His Word. Ahab's story is a story of I must and I will make this happen. Bye. You and the team can come forward. So here's the question tonight. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? What is there in your heart that you are fearful about that creates anxiety? Because in Matthew 6, God says, look at the lilies in the field, the birds in the air. They do not lack. Solomon, in all his pride, were not dressed as the lilies in the field. So do not get anxious about tomorrow. Seek first my kingdom, and all else shall be provided for you. Mm -hmm.